0: Hello and welcome back to Latin II class from the Church of St. Agnes. Today we are going to explore the grammar contained in Unit 16 of the Collins book, beginning on page 125 and following. I'm going to depart at one point from the presentation in the book to explain to you something in rather different detail than the way Collins does, so bear with me, And uh, when we get to that point, I'll let you know. But we want to begin today uh, rethinking or reviewing a bit about adjectives. You'll remember that in Latin, the general rule for adjectives is that an adjective must agree in number, gender, and case with the noun it modifies. Number, gender, and case. Now, you already know uh, first and second declension adjectives and they generally have three endings in the nominative. So for instance, an adjective like bonus a um, bonus, bona, bonum, has a set of endings for the masculine, the feminine, and the neuter. And you also know that these must agree with their noun in number, gender, and case. Well, you'll be happy to learn, maybe not so happy, to learn, that the third declension also has a set of adjectives. And these adjectives, just like the first and second declension adjectives, which can modify nouns of any declension, third declension adjectives can also modify nouns of any declension. So now you come to the point where sometimes, as you'll recall, your adjectives had the same exact ending as the word they modified. So for instance, if I wanted to say, a good friend in Latin, I would say bonus amicus. But if I wanted to say a good man, I'd say bonus vir. And you notice there the endings don't match. So in the third declension, if you have a third declension adjective and a first declension noun, the endings won't look the same, but in fact they will agree in number, gender, and case. Now adjectives of the third declension, in their nominatives, can have three, two, or one ending, and what we mean by that is that just like bonus aum ah, has three endings in the nominative, there are groups of ad, or a group of adjectives in the third declension that also have three endings. If you take a look on page 125, you will see probably the most famous of those. Not a large group of uh, third, degree, uh, third declension adjectives have three endings, but here's the most famous word perhaps, Acher. Acris, acre, which means sharp or bitter. We get the word acrid in English from it. Now, notice, these adjectives have third declension endings, I stem endings. So, in the ablative singular, there's going to be an I. In the genitive plural, there's going to be an extra I. And in the neuter nominative and accusative plural, there will be an extra I. You'll see what I mean when we look at the declension. Take a look, and we'll go across masculine, feminine, and neuter. Acher, acris, acre. Then the genitive is all the same. Acris, acris, acris. Dative all the same. Acre, acri, acri. Ablative, acrem, acrem. And then watch, mazelon number one. Nominatives and accusatives, neuters, always the same. Acre. And then in the ablative, acri, acri, acri. The plural. Acres, acres, and then the neuter, acria, ending in A. That I-A, the I and the I stem, the A, mazelon number two, nominatives and accusative neuters, uh, end in A. Then the genitive, acrium, 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 notice the I there. Acribus, 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 acres, acres, acria, and acribus, acribus, acribus. Now, by far, the largest group of adjectives of the third declension are those of two endings in the nominative. What we mean by that is that the nominative, take a look on page 126, there's an example word, omnis, omne, every or all, a very important word everywhere in Latin. Notice, omnis is both masculine and feminine. Omne is neuter. So now we have only a two-ending adjective in the nominative, and the bulk of third declension adjectives are two-ending adjectives. So here's our our model adjective, omnis omne, omnis omnis, omni omni, omnem omne, omni omni, in the plural, omnes omnia, omnium omnium. There's your I, omnibus omnibus, omnes omnia nominative and accusative neuter is always the same omnibus omnibus. There you have it. As I said, most adjectives of the third declension are of these two ending sort. Now there are a few adjectives of the third declension that only have one ending in the nominative In other words, that one ending in the nominative happens to be for masculine, feminine, and neuter nouns. and such a word is the word, Felix. Another very important one is the word potens. Potens, potens, which means powerful. We get our word potent from it and all such words, potentate and, and all such derivatives. Take a look at the declension of felix. It's a one ending in the nominative adjective. So in the na- masculine, feminine, and neuter, it's felix. The genitive, felicis. The dative, felici. Then watch the accusative, feliciem in masculine and feminine, but because of May's law, nominative accusative is always the same in the neuter. Goes to felix in the neuter, and then in the ablative felici. In the plural, felices, in the neuter, felicia, right? Ia there. Then the genitive felicium, felicibus, felices, neuter felicia. And ablative plural felicibus. So that's fairly straightforward. You already know third declension nouns. You already know third declension I stem nouns. These adjectives take on those I stem characteristics and they will modify a noun in number, gender, and case. And they cannot modify nouns of any declension. Now, speaking of declensions, I want you to skip over a couple pages in your book for the time being, and go to page 129, bottom of 128, 129. We're going to introduce also today the fourth declension. There are five declensions of nouns in Latin. You know the first, second, and third so far, and you'll recall that the first declension, primarily feminine nouns with some masculines. The second declension, primarily masculine nouns with some neuters, and and there are very few feminines there. Third declension, masculine, feminine, and neuter nouns. And the fourth declension is in the sense like the second, primarily masculine, but with a few important words that are feminine. And there is also a neuter category. Now, there aren't a lot of fourth declension nouns, but there are several and very important ones. Um, If you take a look on page 129, you will see the noun endings for the fourth declension. And these are quite simple to learn. Take a look at them in the singular. Us, us, ui, um, u. Us, um, ibus, us, ibus. <laughs> so you notice that there are a lot of uses in there and uis. Uh, and you can, uh, I used to uh, joke with my students about making a, a chant or a song out of it. Us, us, ui, um, u, us, um, ibus, us, ibus. Uh, there you have it. If you take a look at the way that we uh, decline such a noun in the middle of the page, we have the word ritus, ritus, masculine, it means rite or ceremony. We get the word ritual and right from it. Notice its declension. Let's do it together. Ritus, Ritus, Ritui, Ritum, Ritu. In the plural, Ritus, Rituum, Ritibus, Ritus, Ritibus. So you notice there are a lot of U.S. endings. Uh, We have a long mark in the genitive over the U. It's short in the nominative, but then it turns long. And then in the plural, we have the nominative and accusative. So you'll have to know by context which case it is by context and its use in its sentence. Now there's also a, a, another small classification of neuter nouns of the fourth declension. And these are presented to you in at the bottom of the page. There aren't a lot of these, but uh, there are some and you need to know them. Um, and these are uh, have an even more interesting ending, and endings, a set of endings, and, and they're rather more simple. Um, we have the word uh, genu, or genu, we should say, in church Latin, genu, genus, knee. Uh, genuflexus is a genuflexion. You flex the knee, right? So here we have the noun that means knee. And notice the endings oo, 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 oo. Yes. U, us, u, 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 in the singular. And plural, because it's neuter plural. maize law number two, they end in A. Ua, uum, ibus, ua, ibus. Your endings uh, are those for the neuter. So if we decline a neuter noun, you'll see it in, in your vocabulary. Genu, genus, and neuter. This is the way we do it. Genu, genus, genu, genu genu. Plural, genua, genuum, genibus, genua, genibus. So notice again, you have a series of u's, u-us, u-u-u, and uh, in order to figure out what case a word is in the sentence, you're going to have to go largely by the context of the sentence. So that, uh, that represents the fourth declension noun. Uh, in its masculine form and in its neuter forms, There are a few feminine nouns of the fourth declension, not many, but the most important, manus, manus, feminine, hand. We get our word manual and so forth from that. And you'll see in your vocabulary on page 130 that um, there, there will be given to you several fourth declension words. Okay, now I had you skip over A couple pages in this lesson, and I want to go back to them now. And what I want to do is to take some time to explain to you um, the Latin participle and a couple idiomatic uses of the participle. You've already been introduced earlier in the Collins book to one participle, which was the perfect passive participle, which is Identical, in most cases, to the fourth principal part of a verb. So if we have the verb amo, amo, amare, amavi, amatus, aum. Ah, that fourth principal part, amatus, aum, ah, is actually an adjective functioning, or is a participle functioning as an adjective, and uh, it's passive. Now, let's, let's retrace our steps for a minute and review... <clears throat> what a participle is. A participle can be uh, defined in two words. A participle is a verbal adjective. It's a word that comes from a verb and is made into an adjective. Okay, so for instance in English we put to make a present participle in English we put ing on a word. So we say, um, I was swimming in, or I, I swim in the pool. I swim in the pool. But if we want to make swim an adjective, we say the swimming man or the swimming dolphin. What kind of dolphin is he? A swimming dolphin. And in English, we add an ing in the present to make a present participle. Because participles function as adjectives, they must agree in number, gender, and case in Latin with the nouns they modify. Therefore, you can deduce that participles will have sets of endings just like normal adjectives, and they will have to modify their nouns in number, gender, and case. Now, in English, think about this in english we often get in trouble using participles and you might recall from your english grammar classes or your composition classes that your teacher might sometimes <clears throat> on a on a essay or something circle a word and say to you that's a dangling participle what does that mean well think about it for a minute it's a participle that dangles what do i mean by dangles well it means it's unsure about, the reader is unsure about what it's modifying. Take this sentence in English, for example. I saw the man running through the field. Now, your sentence, I saw the man, is pretty clear. I is a subject, saw is the verb, man is the direct object. Now, is it I saw the man Running through the field, or I saw the man running through the field. That's a dangling participle because in English, you could construe the running to modify I. I saw the man running through the field as I was running through the field. I running through the field saw the man. Or you could construe it as modifying the man. I saw the man. What kind of man was he? A running through the field man. That in English is called a dangling participle. In Latin, you never have a problem with a dangling participle. Why? Because adjectives and participles must agree with their nouns in number, gender, and case. So, if if we wanted in that sentence to say I saw the man I as I was running through the field, running would have to modify I as opposed to I saw the man, the man who was running through the field, running in that case would have to modify man. So in English, you can have dangling participles. In Latin, fairly, fairly uncommon because adjectives must agree in number, gender, and case. Now in that practice sentence in English, you also see something else about participles. They are in fact adjectives, but because they are verbal adjectives, they can take on the aspects of verbs. So they're going to have voices, active or passive, and they're going to have tenses. In that particular sentence, I saw the man running through the field. What kind of man was he? A running through the field man. And so running will have to modify man, but notice it requires also the rest of the sentence, running through the field. And we have to say per agrum. So it takes on both the uh, usage and complexion of an adjective, but it also can function partially like a verb. Now, in Latin, there are four participles. And it might be good for you to take a note on this, write it down. We have four participles. We have two that are active in voice and two that are passive. I'm going to outline for you, that this is not directly in your book because Collins decides to split up the presentation of participles. And I wanna give you an overview here so that you have an overview of them all and then we can plug them in when we see them. So for my overview, I want to use the practice word or example of the Latin word, which you've had a long time ago. I think it was back in chapter six. Ago, agere, agi, actus, aum. That word means to do, to drive, to act. Ago, agere, agi, actus, aum. That is a third conjugation verb. The reason I like to use it as a model for teaching participles is because of the English derivatives that we get from that word. So let's take a look at our participles in Latin. I told you there were four. The first participle tense that we want to deal with is the present. Latin has a present active participle. It has no present Passive participle. So, when you think about it, we have a present active participle in Latin. And the way we form all present active participles is we go to the stem of the verb and we add the ending ns and then the genitive ntis. So, we have, for instance, the word ago, agere. We find the stem by dropping the R-E from the infinitive, agere, and we have A-G-E as the stem. To that, we add N-S in the nominative and N-T-I-S in the genitive. Agens, agentis. And it's declined like a third declension adjective, which we just learned. If you look on page now, if you open your books and take a look on page 127 at the top, uh, you will see the the very bottom of 126, the top of 127, you will see participles being formed. Notice at the bottom of 126, he uses the verb laudo, laudare. He adds the NS and the NTIS, laudans, laudantis. And you go down through the conjugation or the declension just like the third declension adjectives. So, in, in the example that I want to give you, agens, agentes, what that word translated literally, agens, means doing, acting, driving, doing, acting. And agens, if you look at the word agens, agentis, what is the root? Agent, A-G-E-N-T. What word do we get? An agent. Who is an agent? one doing, right? So think of that as your participle, your present participle. A man doing his work, for instance, vir agens, doing, okay? And these participles must agree, as I say, in number, gender, and case, with the noun they modify. Now, there is no present passive participle in Latin. So our next participle in Latin is one that you supposedly already know because it was introduced by Collins earlier. And that is the perfect tense, but there is no perfect active participle, but there is in Latin a perfect passive participle. And that perfect passive participle is one you already know. It's the fourth principal part of the verb. So in our model verb, ago, agere, agi, actus, aum, your perfect passive participle is actus, aum, and it means having been done. Notice it's perfect, having, helping verb, but it's passive, been done. Latin does not have an active perfect participle. In English, having done. it has It's a passive participle, Having been done, and notice it in our model word actus aum. What English word do we get from actus? Act. What is an act? It's something having been done. It's an action having been done. That's your fourth principal part, us aum. It is declined like the adjectives bonus aum. It's the fourth principal part of the verb. Now. Your final two participles in Latin, I said there were four altogether. We have a present active, a perfect passive, and now we come to the future participles. And we have both an active and a passive future participle. Now, the future active participle is formed by taking the fourth principal part of any verb that ends in usa um, drop the us, and add. URUS AUM. U-R-U-S. AUM. And it's declined like BONUS AUM. So in our model verb, AGO, ajre ag ACTUS AUM, we take the fourth principal part, ACT, drop the U-S, and add URUS. ACTURUS. And that means about to do. About to do. Going to do. ACTURUS AUM. And if you think about it, what is an English word that we get from that? Actuary or actuarial. It's something about to do, about to happen. Now, we, we don't have any um, example of the future participle here in Unit 16. I'm just informing you of this now so that later on you will know and that today you get a full picture of all four Latin participles. Don't worry about the future right now, but just know that it's there and put it on hold in your brains, okay? Now, the, we said we have also a future passive participle, and how do we form that? We take the present stem of the verb in our practice verb, ago agere, we drop the R-E, we have the A-G-E, and to that we add N-D-U-S-A-U-M, Endus aum, and what word do we get then? Agendus aum, and if we think about our English equivalent, what is an agenda? Neuter plural of the perf of the future passive participle, things to be done. An agenda is a list of things to be done. So. We have four, to review, we have four participles in Latin. We have a present active, there is no present passive. We have a perfect passive, there is no perfect active. And we have a future active and a future passive. The ones that are most important for us right now are the present participle. We take the present stem of any verb. You can see that on page 127, 128. Seven at the top. You take the present stem, for instance, of the second conjugation, moneo. You drop the R-E, monere. Drop the R-E, you have your stem, mone. To that, you add an N. Ens, entis. Monens, monentis. And that is decline, like a third declension adjective. It means here, advising. Our model verb, agens, agentis. Doing, one doing, an agent, Right? And the other participle that's very important for us at this point is the one that you already know, the perfect passive participle, which is the fourth principal part of any verb, us a um. And it's declined like a second, first and second declension adjective, actus a um. An actum is a thing having been done, an act. Okay. So those are your participles. Remember, they are verbal adjectives. They have the properties both of adjectives and of verbs. And we'll see how that operates as we do our practice sentences. Now, having given you the um, uh, a little mini lesson in all of your participles, I want to go back now and present to you um, a very important Couple of uses of the participle. If you go back to page one, twenty-eight, you see that the participle can act almost like a little adverbial clause, um, and you see that uh, example on page one twenty-eight at the top. Vir clamans, tamen ayesu non auditus est. The man, crying out, nevertheless. Was not heard by Jesus. Um, That's kind of a clause. Uh, And if you look on the on page one twenty seven at the bottom, he talks about adjectival and adverbial uses of clauses. They're basically the same, but you can use a participle as a strict adjective. Notice on the bottom of page one twenty seven, clamans vir a Jesu auditus est, the shouting man was heard by jesus what kind of man is he he's a clamans we could use any adjective there he's a bonus vir a good man was heard by jesus but here he's the what kind of man the shouting man or you could say vir clamans a jesus audit was the man shouting was heard by jesus right sometimes in english in order to avoid uh dangling participles, we turn those into clauses. Think about it for a minute. Uh, in that first sentence I gave you for dangling participle, I saw the man running through the field. In order to avoid the temptation to dangle participles, we often use in English a relative clause. I saw the man who was running through the field. Latin, on the other hand, loves to use participles. You probably will not go for two or three sentences in latin without seeing a participle. So in that sentence, I saw the man who was running through the field. You can simply say I saw the man and make running a participle and modify it through the field and latin loves to do that. Now, the most important usage that I want to stress to you today about with participles is this next one. And this is the so-called ablative absolute. Now again, you might recall that Collins presented this in several chapters ago back in Latin 1 with the perfect passive participle, the fourth principal part. And he never really explains it very carefully, nor does he explain it very carefully here. So I'm going to explain to you now in some detail the ablative absolute, and then we will apply it in this lesson and in our homework. So there's a construction in Latin called the ablative absolute and its name really defines it ablative absolute it's an it's something in the ablative and it's absolute meaning it has no or very little connection and I'll explain that in a second take down this definition the ablative absolute is a clause a subordinate clause a clause expressing time, cause, condition, or concession, which is attended upon, but grammatically divorced from the main sentence. Now that's a mouthful. Let me repeat it. The ablative absolute is a clause expressing time, cause, condition, or concession, which is attendant upon, but grammatically divorced from the main sentence. Now, what does that mean? Let's break it down. It's a clause. What's a clause? It's not one of, a subordinate clause is not one of, as I tell my students, not one of Santa's little helpers. No, <laughs> that's supposed to be a joke. No, it is a group of words, using usually having a subject and an object, okay? A clause expressing time, cause, condition, or concession. Okay, we have lots of different kinds of clauses. The Abbot of Absolute is a circumstantial clause, which means it describes the circumstances under which the main sentence happens or occurs. So it's one that can express time. In English, we call that a temporal clause. And how do we introduce it in English? With the word when. When it's raining outside we stay inside. When? It's a clause expressing time. Cause. How do we express a causal clause in English? With the subordinating conjunction because or since. Since or because it's raining outside, we are staying inside. Okay? Time, cause, condition. How do we express condition in English? If. If it's raining outside, we are staying inside. Outside, we're staying inside. Okay? Or concession. We've talked about concession before. Concession in English is introduced by the subordinating conjunction, although. Although it's raining outside, we are staying inside or we're going to go outside. Although. Now, the ablative absolute can express any one of those without a subordinating conjunction. Okay? So it's a clause expressing time, cause, condition, or concession, which is attendant upon, meaning it. Describes the circumstances like a little attendant to a king or queen. It goes around helping, but it's not the king or queen, right? It's, it's attendant upon, but grammatically divorced from the main sentence. And what we mean by that is the general rule for an ablative absolute is that the subject of the ablative absolute is generally not the same subject as mentioned in the main clause. Okay, now that describes what an ablative absolute clause is. The construction of the ablative absolute is attained by putting the noun or the subject, usually a noun or pronoun, in the ablative case and making a participle agree with it. Therefore, the participle will also be in the ablative. And the primary participles that are used in the ablative absolute are the present participle, present active participle, and the perfect passive participle. Okay, so that's what you do. And when you and how do you recognize this? When you see a clause, which is usually set off by commas, which of course is cheating because in ancient Latin, they didn't use commas for many, many centuries or periods or punctuation. But it's, our books help us today. Setting this clause off by commas something in the ablative hanging out there looking like it has no grammatical connection to the main sentence, then you'll think, you need to think, ah, this is probably an ablative absolute. So with all this theoretical stuff, you're probably totally wallowing in uh, uh, sort of confusion because I'm not able to illustrate to you on a blackboard or a whiteboard what we're doing here. Let's turn to our books on page 128 to give you an example of an ablative absolute. Notice in the middle of your page, he presents this ablative absolute. Present participles as well as perfect passive participles may be used in the ablative absolute construction. He says, See section 68. Well, if you go back and you look at section 68, which was in Latin 1, you'll be able to. To see his explanation of it. It's not as detailed or as exact and precise as my detailed description that I just gave you. At any rate, I think you're going to understand this when you have some practice using it. And Take a look at the practice sentences. Petro in domum intrante, Paulus restitit. Now, the main sentence is Paulus restitit. Paul stayed back. Remain, stood, stood back. Restita is what it means. Okay. There's your main sentence. Under what circumstances did Paul do this? Petro in domum intrante. Notice the subject of the ablative Absolute goes in the ablative Case. Petro. And then we have the participle modifying it. What kind of Peter is he? Intrante. Intro, entrare. To enter. Peter. Entering in Domum, into the house. So, the literal translation, if you want to stick with it, you can just say, with Peter entering into the house, Paul remained behind. But you can also fancy it up by using, as I said, a clause that expresses time, cause, condition, or concession. So, here, when Peter entered the house, Paul remained behind. If you don't want to get too complicated at first, just stick with the literal. With Peter entering into the house, Paul remained behind. Notice in the in the uh, in the uh, second example, he changes the pre- the uh, tense in the main sentence to present, and it doesn't really matter in in Latin because when you use the present participle, you show Contemporaneous time with the main verb. We we'll talk about that more later. Petro in doma mintrante, Paulus resta. Paul remains behind. Under what circumstances? With Peter entering the house. There you have it. So, the abbot of absolute again, a clause expressing time, cause, condition, or concession, which is attended upon, but grammatically divorced from the main sentence. Notice. Peter is not the subject of the main sentence in this. It's Paul. Paul stays behind under the circumstances of Peter entering into the house. And also notice that if you were reading along in Latin, you didn't have that English translation there, and you see this Petro in Domum entrante, Paulus it. you say, What in the world is that strange thing, Petro in Domum entrante? Well, you notice. There's something in the ablative, Peter, usually a noun or pronoun, and it will be modified by a participle, almost always a present participle, which we just learned, or a perfect participle, which you knew before. That's the fourth principal part of the verb. Uh, and there, And it's in the ablative modifying the subject, and it can have other phrases within it, because a participle, remember, is a verbal adjective. So it not only is an adjective, but it takes on the characteristics also of a verb. So here we have Peter, what kind of Peter, and entering into the house Peter, right? And there you have it. Okay, so that is a very detailed explanation of the ablative absolute. We've had some examples in our sentences in the first two chapters that we've done with the perfect passive participle. We'll have more in this lesson. But now we also can have ablative absolutes, ablatives absolute, with the present participle. And it's important that you recognize them. I think you'll see them. They're standing out there, a phrase set off by commas usually, in the ablative. (coughs) Excuse me. And when you see that, think ablative absolute. And you can translate it um, very literally if you like. Uh, As I said, with Peter entering the house, Paul stayed behind. uh, or you can uh, fancy it up with English by using a temporal or causal clause uh, according to the context of the sentence. Now, just in quick review then, in this chapter, this chapter is chock full of information, too much for my liking, but this is Collins's book and not mine. If I had written it, I don't think I would have arranged it in this way, but that's here, neither here nor there. We've had the third declension adjectives, which really doesn't uh, doesn't present anything too new, because you've already had third declension nouns and i-stem nouns, and they take their endings uh, similarly. Uh, we've had the fourth uh, declension nouns in masculine and neuter, and we've also uh, been uh, introduced in a in a in a much more uh, uh, detailed fashion to participles. I explained uh, Latin participles to you. There are four of them: uh, two active, two passive, uh, and uh, we have a present active, no present passive. We have a perfect passive, but no perfect active, and we have uh, two futures: active and passive. And if you remember your model verb ago, agere, uh, and those English derivatives. You'll remember how to translate them. And then we learned some idiomatic uses of the participle, which in your book are outlined for you on pages 127 and 128. And most importantly, the ablative absolute construction, which I promised I would uh, in the last couple lessons. I kept promising we're going to go into some detail about the ablative absolute. Remember again, one more time, it's a clause. Expressing time, cause, condition, or concession. That is, it's a circumstantial clause which is attended upon but grammatically divorced from the main clause. In other words, the subject of the ablative absolute phrase, particularly in classical Latin and most often in church Latin, is not the subject of the main clause of the sentence. Okay. Now, if you look on page. Uh, Pages one, one or on page one thirty, you have a long list of vocabulary there again. I hope you're trying to keep up with your vocabulary, trying to commit a lot of the words to memory, trying to practice them. Um, and if you notice in the right-hand column, we have several fourth declension nouns: potus, potus, masculine drink; ritus, ritus. Masculine, right or ceremony. Here's a very important word for uh, uh, ecclesiastical Latin spiritus, spiritus, breath or spirit. Vultus, vultus, masculine, face or countenance. Um, and then we have our feminine one. We don't have many feminines in the fourth declension manus, manus, hand, but that's a very important one. And then we have a couple neuters. Cornu, cornus is the most important one. One of the most common, it means a horn. Uh, your book called, it says it can also mean a mountaintop. That's a uh, very rare usage, but it's used sometimes. Uh, cornu, cornus. Uh, we get the word cornucopia from that, a horn of plenty. And genu, genus, neuter, knee. Then we have a series of several adjectives. Uh, take a look at um, omnis, omne. Pascalis, pascale, salutare, salutare, simile, simile, dissimilis, dissimile. Those are all adjectives of the third declension with two endings in the nominative. There we have acer, acris, acre, an adjective of three endings. And we have, if you go back up, felix, felicis, and the genitive, and omnipotens, omnipotentis. Those are adjectives of one ending in the nominative, but all third declension adjectives. Okay, so that's a lot of information to digest for you this week. I hope that uh, my explanations were clear enough. Uh, At least if they weren't, you could go back and re-listen time and time again. And take a look for your um, homework uh, on pages 133 and 134. This week, I would like you to do... uh, In addition to the exercises, the Roman numeral two on page 133, there are only six sentences there. These are all giving you practice in present active participles. And they're short sentences, but uh, they're fairly clear, I think. But it's good practice on that present active participle. And then in your exercises, let's give uh, this week... Instead of doing the even-numbered exercises, let's do the odd-numbered exercises, okay? So, one more time. This week, we will do the odd-numbered exercises, 1, 3, 5, 7, 9, and so forth, up through 25. So, for your homework, the Roman numeral 2, present active participles drill, those six short sentences. And then the exercises, the odd numbered one, three, se- five, seven, nine, and so on, for your sentences in practice. And remember, I will post another audio uh, about midweek, uh, having uh, having these sentences that I've just assigned as its subject matter. I will try to explain them very carefully and thoroughly, um, and uh, hopefully, I will be able to. Fill, uh, uh, to clear up any difficulties that you're having with a uh, packed, full, and somewhat complicated chapter. Um, don't lose heart. Uh, it, there's a lot of information there, but uh, we will get it, and practice, practice, practice makes perfect. So we will go over things carefully in the next audio. I hope that this has been helpful and clear to you. And don't forget, you can always go back, re listen. If you have any, also if you have any questions, uh, feel free to drop me an email, may at stoloff.edu, and we'll get those answered for you. So thanks very much for your time and your dedication. I'm proud of you. Proud that you're learning Latin. Um, you're learning a lot of Latin in a short amount of time. And if you can stick with it, uh, as I said in the opening announcement for this class, you'll be able to read most any church Latin with the help of a dictionary. So keep your eye on the prize. Uh, Don't get discouraged, and um, it will come easier and easier as we go along. Have a good week, and God bless you. Bye-bye.